<laughs> it is so amazing and so honoring to be able to stand before you and to be able to minister the Word of God. And so uh, I'm believing we're going to talk about, unless it changes as we go along, but we're going to talk about following Jesus like a child. And so as we're going, I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to take off with me uh, in John chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 3 in the King James. Praise the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The, uh, the contemporary English version, the CEV, in verse 3, it says, And with this word, God created all things, nothing was made without the word. Everything that was created. As you can tell, we're probably going to talk about the Word some. Praise the Lord. So let's go ahead and... Uh, let's look at Second Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given in us, us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now go to... Let's go on down to John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus was with God from the very beginning. When the heavens were formed, all of that stuff, the Son of God was standing there watching His Father. Watching His Father work. Watching what He did and how He did it. He was right there the whole time. God the Father's creating stuff. God the Son is standing there going, Oh, that's how you do that. Oh, I like that. Hey, Dad, can we put some other colors in there? Hey, can I do part of that? You see, the Son was with the Father from the beginning. There's a number of scriptures that talk about in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, all of them around Jesus, around the Word of God, because the Word was made flesh. Jesus was with the Father as the Word from the beginning. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, "...in the beginning." And then in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, I don't think there's a coincidence there. 
Both of them are talking about the beginning of time before our time really began. Time came after that. And so Jesus was with the Father. And he got to see how all of this was done. And he got to watch it. And then he got to watch Adam be formed and created. And he got to watch all of the animals be formed and created. And he got to watch the first Adam, the Adam, the man, name the animals. Understand it on a, on a God level. The wisdom of that man. Glory to God. One day we'll get to meet him. We'll get to pick his brain about what it was really like there in the garden before sin ever entered this world. But Jesus was there with him. And he got to watch all of it unfold, all of it take place with his father. Go to John chapter 14 and verse 6. Chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You see, he knew about all of the beginning preparations. And at this time, he was on the earth. And he was walking out the things of the Father. He was able to show us just what what God had in store for us. Now, why did he send him? Why did he send Jesus? Let's look at Psalms 107, verse 20. I told the screens team to be ready because I was going to run them through a lot of scriptures. So you might want to be ready too. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. You see, right there gives you the mandate of what Jesus was sent to the earth for. Because he was the word. He was the Word made into flesh. He was the Word God would send that we would have hope and a future that Jeremiah 29, 11 talks about. That he, he has a good plan for us and the plan had slipped a little. But God had a better plan. He sent His only Son. He sent Him of a virgin. He sent Him to this earth to walk out the perfect plan of God. And for us to be able to see just what He originally designed and built us for. How we can operate fully and completely as God wanted man to operate. And so Jesus became that Word, came out in flesh... And this is the objective, that he would heal them and deliver them from their destruction. Now, I know in our society and things that go on, we, we have doubts that we, we put out and that, that people talk about maybe this and maybe that. But with God, there is no doubt. With God, it is absolute. With God, every word that he spoke either has come to pass or it will soon because he watches over his word. He performs it in our lives. Go to Isaiah 55 and 11. Isaiah 55 and 11. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. 
So when Jesus went to the earth, the Father was watching over the Son, the Word of God. And He was giving Him examples and He was showing Him, and we're going to look at Scripture after Scripture, of what the Father did for Jesus, the Son. But I want you to look at one other thing. Let's go to Psalms 138, verse 2. I want you to see the importance of the Word of God. I want you to see how how God exalts the Word of God. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That's big. Let's look at that in the complete Jewish Bible. Complete Jewish Bible. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your grace and truth. For you have made your word even greater than the whole of your reputation. So when we walk around with this word, God himself exalted this word above all of his reputation, above all he is. So whenever we find a scripture in our life that God highlights for us and and he says, by my stripes, you were healed. That word is above and beyond even God and all of his reputation. That's the way heaven sees it. Heaven sees it as the ultimate. There's no other power or force beyond it. Because God is the word. Jesus is the word. And God placed his word even over all of the whole of his creation, the universe, the stars, the galaxies, all that's in it. God placed the word Higher than himself. I have trouble even imagining how how exalted that is. Because how big is God? How huge is God? But God exalted his word even above himself. I already told you uh, what Jeremiah 1.12 says, that he will hasten and watch over his word and perform it. And so, let's go on. I want you to go back to John chapter 1 and verse 14. I want to look at it one more time before we bail off into the rest. And the word. Now that you know what the word is and, and how... Huge and vast in the way God sees the word. That word was made flesh. That word walked on the earth. That word gave us example and and carried out the bidding of his father. That word that was so exalted by God the father. He was made into flesh. And I don't know how he did it. (laughs) But he's God. But he laid aside his mighty weight, his mighty stature, the very thing that he had from the beginning with his father, the very Godhead itself. He laid aside that mighty power and weight 
and he became a man. The Bible says that God cannot be tempted. Well, the Bible records that Jesus was tempted for 40 days and yet was without sin. So he had to lay aside his mighty weight, his mighty stature, to be enabled to be tempted. So he could know how we feel. So he could actually bear all of those temptations to give us a way out, to show us how to walk it, how to live it. That's what Jesus did. That's why he came here. That's why he walked on this earth, was to give us that example. Now let's look at Luke. Chapter 2, verse 40. Luke, chapter 2, verse 40. We're going to read 40 and then 46, 47, 48, and 49. The child, this is talking about Jesus. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Skip on ahead. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Wait just a minute. Let me catch you all up. This is when Jesus, his family, went to be to the census and they went into the city. And Jesus, when the families left in their big caravan, he stayed behind. And after three days they found him in the temple. Go ahead to 47. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And they, and when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why have you done this and dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I, we've sought thee sorrowing. Can you imagine losing your kid for three days? Wow. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? Isn't that amazing? At 12 years old, Jesus knew what he was supposed to do. Now, I believe he's like many of us. I've been there. You know God's telling you to do something. And so you bail into it and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was 10 years from now, not today. And so I've got a head of God, got to show me something, and I think it's for today, and I bail in on it. And I'm so thankful for the teaching we get to help us to know when the right time is. Because God can reveal something to you, and you can bail off, but you're not even in the right location. You've got, you're not fully equipped. Brother Moore talks about when Brother Hagen was changing some stuff in the healing classes over there. And he's like, oh, we're going to do this. And then years passed. And then he walked in and he goes, you know that thing we were talking about? We're going to do that. Well, it was years back that he brought it up, but it was just now time to implement it. Well, <laughs> I wonder if this isn't a little bit about what Jesus did. So excited to be about his father's business. That he hung out and he waited and he taught the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law on a level that they were in awe. How can this 12-year-old, Caleb's 11, he'll be 12 soon. How can this 12-year-old talk on that level, have that kind of understanding, have that kind of wisdom? And then he says, 
didn't you know I need to be about my father's business? The sense of urgency was there at 12 years old. He wanted to get going, get started, but the time hadn't yet come. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 28. Then Jesus said unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father hath taught me. I speak these things. As the Father has taught me, I speak these things. Then John chapter 14 and verse 9. This is what Jesus said to him. In the latter. He said, He that has seen me, you have seen my Father. You see, that's the way we want to be. That's the way we should desire to be. Um, as a child, it's built within you to yearn to be like the role models around about you. It's not something they're thinking about. It's not something they're striving in themselves to try to emulate it's in your DNA. You just want to be like your parents. You just want to grow like them, talk like them, work like them. You become like them because it's in you. It's not something you think about and you just try to do. It's something that's within your DNA. Just like the Father taught Jesus. We as parents are teaching our children all the time, even when you don't expect it. My wife takes pictures quite regularly of me and my children. We don't know anything about it. The same with my family, my dad, my brothers. We'll be standing somewhere. We've got no idea that she's taking pictures. But we're standing exactly the same way. We may be leaning against a handrail. And all of us in a row are standing identical. Not that we thought about it. It's in us. It's who we are. We don't have to think about it. It's in our DNA. And so we can stand there and she'll giggle and she'll take pictures. You can go ahead and put the picture up. You see, it's in us to want to emulate now, Caleb had no idea what he was doing. I'm fighting a fish. And while I'm fighting that fish, she's taking pictures. I didn't realize what he was doing until the picture. But that is what's in us. We want to emulate our parents. We want to emulate something that's why kids all over the globe are trying to be like whatever role model they see. It's not because they made a conscious effort. It's because God created them to be like Him.
And that void in there reaches out to anything close that they feel like can give them that example. And so Caleb is holding a rod and reel exactly the way I am. And he wasn't trying. He just became that because in him was the desire to be like me. The desire to be like an example. That's who we are. God created all of us for that same likeness. For that same example. You can pull that down. You know, when I was in college, um, all the way through high school, I wanted to play basketball. And I, I tried really hard to practice a lot. My mom has all kinds of nightmares of a thousand jump ropes till midnight every night and stuff like that going on in our house to where they couldn't sleep till I was done shooting 200 baskets and making 200 and then doing a thousand jump ropes. And then I could go to bed, whatever time that was. And so I had heard from some of these people that were great in basketball what they did. And I wanted to be better at basketball, so I emulated what they did. And then when I got to college and I'm playing basketball with some of my friends, there was a few people that could jump good enough to be able to dunk a basketball. And I got acquainted with them. One of them ended up being my roommate. And Michael Jordan was one of the best ball players at that time. One of the best verticals of that time. And so everybody wanted to be like Mike. And so all the t-shirts came out. My roommate, he had about every poster of Michael Jordan that there was available. So many that he would trade them out. One would go up in one spot. We didn't have enough room on the walls in the dorm. And so one would go up, and then later another one would go up, and he would trade them out. But we tried, every time he would play a game, we would come into the gym, and in the back court of the gymnasium at the college we were, it had a rubber court, you could get a little better traction. And so we would play follow the leader for hours, and three or four of us, and we would try to do all of the dunks that Michael Jordan did. Now, mind you, we're not Michael Jordan. (laughs) But we would try to emulate what he did and how he did it. And we spent hours trying to take off at the free throw line, trying to hold your arm just right and still be able to put the ball down. We, we, We would try to come in from the baseline and get your head right against the rim and the backboard to be able to go under to bring the ball around from the other side. And we would try all of these things to emulate this basketball player. Well, you may not have done that in basketball, but you may have done it in business. You may have saw somebody successful in business. And you may have thought, I wonder how they do that. I wonder what they did there. And you may spend hours and hours reading and studying and looking at this person in business to see how they accomplished it, what they did, what was successful, what wasn't successful. That's exactly the same thing. Because inside of each of us is this yearning, 
is this desire to become like the people we see are successful. The people we want to emulate. Our parents, our role models. It's in us. Now, as we look at what Jesus did, because we're going to talk a lot about emulating Jesus. Just like a little child. You see, the children around Jesus, I'm sure they watched. And I bet wherever the crusade was, I bet there was little kids putting their hand exactly like Jesus did on their little buddies. I bet they were, they were word, wording everything just like Jesus did. I bet they were lining them up just like Jesus did. I bet they were, they were going through all of the motions because Jesus himself said he only did those things like the Father taught him. Now, Jesus, he sent out 12 disciples. They didn't do things their own way. He trained up 12 men. They got to travel with him. They got to learn from him. They got to see the way he did everything. And then he said, when the time was right, okay, I'm going to give you power and authority. And I'm going to send you out. You emulate me. You do what I'm doing. And so these 12 went out. And you know, the word, Jesus, it was true. When these 12 went out, when they came back, they were, they were excited because even the demons were subject to them. The people they laid hands on got healed. Every sickness, every disease, all people that came to them. Why? Because the Word had spoke over them, I give unto you this power, this authority. And they had traveled with Him for some period of time. And they had watched what He did, how He did it, exactly what He did in every situation. And then, when they were turned out on their own, they drew from that knowledge. They drew from what they've been taught. And they just walked out what Jesus did. Go to Mark chapter 16. I think it's verse 20. It's the last verse. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them is added by the authors. And confirming the word with signs following. You see, this is before the Great Commission. We're going to get there in a minute. But this is what God did even with the twelve. When the twelve went out, God worked with the word they spoke. He worked with the abilities they had by watching Jesus, growing up under Jesus, wanting to be just like Him. I'm sure if Jesus was fishing, they held the fishing pole just like Caleb did. Because they wanted to be like Him. They wanted the same effect. They wanted all of these people, their, their, their hearts burned with the compassion and the outreach to see those who are hurting not hurt anymore. Jesus' hand picked them. So we know that they were, they were special to Him. 
And so he chose them to fulfill a calling on their life. And then he equipped them. And then he sent them out. Let's go to Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. <laughs> when the, the 12 disciples went out, this is what they were trying to emulate. This is what they saw everywhere they went. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, I'm sure when Jesus turned to the twelve the first time, there was a couple that were excited to bail off and go, and there were some that were going, you did say God would be with us, right? (laughs) He's going to help us. Because I I don't know that I'm quite there yet. Is He going to fill in the gaps for me? You see, in the natural, there's a lot of pressure on there. In the natural, there's a lot of things going on that you're in the middle of, and there's nobody there to back you up. It doesn't look like it. But that's why Jesus, I'm sure, confirmed in them what it meant to be the Word of God confirmed in them just how exalted the Word of God was in the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure he's like, hey, it's okay. My dad's got it. You go out. You do what I taught you. My dad, he's going to step in and he's going to fill in any of the voids. And if you get the line wrong or the scripture wrong... He's going he's gonna to have mercy on you. He's going to help you out. He's going to fill it in. And He's probably even going to go over the top just so nobody knows you messed up. Amen. You see, that's what grace and mercy does. That's like a child who has a little easy-bake oven. And they make something and it is horrible. But the parent goes, Mmm, yeah, baby, that's good. No face. Just encouragement. See, that's a good parent. Later on, you're like, got to get that taste out of my mouth. But you see, you don't make any, you don't make it aware that they might have messed up. That's what grace and mercy is for. That's what grace is. When you've done and you've stood and you've done all you know to do, Grace is what picks you up and gets you where you should be. Grace and mercy is what overshadows where we falter, where we miss a step. He's right there to scoop us up, get us to the next place, and then go, oh yeah, you did so good. And he doesn't ever tell you that mom changed the mix out for you. Before that thing cooked. And it was really good and yours is in the trash. But you see, that's what mercy and grace does. 
It builds you up. It gets you ready for the next event and the next event and the next event. Remember what David did? That was the love of God personified. He was with the sheep. And he was out there for his dad, protecting the sheep. And along comes a bear. And he steps in, and Father God steps in and supernaturally helps him. And he kills the bear. And he rescues the sheep. And then later on, a lion comes in. He grabs a sheep. And he reaches up and he grabs it by the beard pulls the sheep out and kills the lion because God was with him. Now, I don't know if he made mistakes in it. I don't know how much mercy and grace was in the middle of it. I just know that that little boy, David, he was excited at his father God and what he had helped him to do. And he became more and more confident in his father God and how his father had taught him and raised him and grew him up and he gave him a lion and he gave him a bear. And then one day he walks in and all of his older brothers are in a big fight and they're all running scared because this Goliath, this huge man's out there. David calls on what the Lord had in him. And he goes to him and goes, why isn't anybody out there? This no covenant man talking bad about my father God. Why isn't somebody out there? And so he goes to him and and the anointing's on him and the, the confidence is all over this child of God. So much so that these Soldiers who have been killing people for years start to believe in him. And they take him to the king. And the anointing so much on this child that the king goes, there's something to this. And he puts his armor on him. Now, if you're a child in the natural and you go over there in your teens... And the king puts his armor on you. That is cool. I don't care who you are. You just got to walk in and go to the king of the armies of the Lord. Not only did you get to talk to him, you got his helmet. You got his sword. But you see, David had been trained and taught by his father God. And he had tools that he used, tools that he had tested out and he had confidence in. And the Lord helped him enough to know, do what you're confident in. So he took the armor off and he went back to the sling and the stones. And then he charged this Goliath. And God supernaturally helped him. And as he slung a stone... It embedded in his skull and he fell out. And then he runs up, takes his own sword and cuts his head off. And it was a great and mighty victory. Because this child had watched his father God, had watched his dad and how he treated the sheep and what he had done. And he so honored his father, earthly father, 
that God honored him. And God raised him up. And in a matter of time, he became the king over all of Israel. You see, as we learn and as we grow in who we are in Jesus, who we are through Him, who we are because God called you, God anointed you, God put you in the right place at the right time, and His grace is all sufficient. So when the time comes and He tells you what to do, we need to boldly step out and just believe a good Father God that He's going to fulfill all those things. (laughs) Jumping, apparently. I want you to look at just a few scriptures that are conclusive. There's no other way that you can take them that's not conclusive. If I can find the right page. I do own a page six. There we go. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20. We're going to go through a few scriptures that are all conclusive. This is talking about Jesus. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead... And set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. 21. Far above all. Now does all leave anything out? Pretty conclusive, isn't it? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. (laughs) Sounds conclusive, doesn't it? God anointed him far above principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named. And so many people are going, well, yeah, but, you know, maybe they didn't hear about those other ones. Oh, yeah. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Verse 22. And hath put all things, another conclusive word, all things under his feet. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Now to go to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, By whom also he made the worlds. That's what we were talking about before. In the beginning was the Word. And he made the worlds. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. 
Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Another conclusive word from the Bible. Go on. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And if he'd have left it there, you would have thought of a place that wasn't in that. Of things in heaven, of things in the earth, and of things under the earth. Now for me, on this planet, that pretty well covers it all. (laughs) Heavens above, earth all around, and everything under it conclusively covered that Jesus has a name above all names. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. And Jesus went about all Galilee, just in case there was a suburb that you, you think he missed, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease, just in case you weren't sure if it was just sickness or if it was a disease. All of them are covered, verse 24. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people. Conclusive. All sick people. That were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those which had the palsy, all people came to him and he healed them. All. All people. Go to Matthew 9 and 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages... Now, just in case Galilee wasn't conclusive enough for you, he went about around through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. There's so many of those. And yet, so many people think sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Now... This isn't, tonight isn't new, fallowed ground. This is all scriptures you've heard. This is all things somebody else, Brother Moore, Dave, Miss Moore, somebody else has taught and read and you've seen over and over. We're just water and seed today. We're just, we're just trying to get it to grow up a little bit more. We're just trying to get it to, to spark and get a better root in the ground that, that it can grow in you. To get rid of the doubt that the enemy brought that maybe what you have isn't really covered in the Bible. Maybe maybe the sickness or the heart palpitation or the the knee problem or the liver problem or the maybe it's not specifically listed in the Bible. You see, that's what the enemy wants you to think. The enemy wants you to think you're different. You you got problems that God didn't know about. You got things going God didn't make provision for. Well, we went through Scripture after Scripture after Scripture of the Word of God that's fully conclusive. No holes, no places in it 
for the enemy to slide something in. So if you're dealing with anything, it's covered. It's the best insurance program you've ever seen. Glory to God. No loopholes. Fully, fully covered. (laughs) Now, let's look at Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. This is one of the other areas they always talk about. Well, that was Jesus and the twelve disciples. It says, And after these things, the Lord appointed another seventy also, and sent them two by two before His face into every city and place, whether He Himself would come. You see, He sent out another seventy people. So that gets rid of the idea that there's only thirteen that have this Ability. Now, we all know what happens. They come back. God had mercy over them. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe, because you thank him and talk to him, it's going to happen. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Verse 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. Verse 20. And they went forth, preaching everywhere, the Lord working with and confirming the word, with signs following. Glory to God. (laughs) Go to Matthew chapter 28 and 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying... All power, pretty conclusive, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. This is what I want you to see. Let's look at this in the NIV, guys. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. You see, this is Paul talking to the Ephesians, and he's telling them, I was here. I set this church up. You now be an imitator of God. 
Just like a child imitates his parents. Just like a child grows up in who he is to become like those around him. Those who he looks up to. Be imitators of God. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 in the New American Standard Bible. 1 Corinthians 11 1. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Again, this is Paul talking to the church. 1 Peter 2 and 21 in the King James. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. Now that's Peter talking about the same thing. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. NIV. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. That's, the Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Well, that was four scriptures, but still three witnesses. That was Paul, Peter, and John, all saying we should walk and live as he walked. Now, you may think, well, that may not be for me. I may not be called. I may not be chosen for that. Well, good. Now, let's look at John chapter 15, verse 16 in the New American Standard Bible. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name He may give it to you. You see, that's what Jesus was saying right before He left the earth. That's what the Great Commission is. Now, your job may not be to go to far off lands, but God told us He would give us the hope of our calling. He would show us what our part is. And as we hear and see the Word of God... And see how God orchestrates stuff in our lives. Can you put that picture up one more time? I want you to be like this child. I want you to want to emulate who God the Father is. Remember in the Bible, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, if He'll pull away all the unrighteousness, all you have left is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Remember the prodigal son, how he raised up and grew up. And in Galatians chapter 4, 1 through 7, it talks about how an heir, when he's a child, is no different than a servant. 
until a time appointed of the Father, when he's been taught, when he's been raised up, when he's been led through all of the possible scenarios, and he's been shown how to handle it, how to deal with it, what to do in every situation. Just like this boy is learning what to do in that situation. God is teaching all of you and me what to do in situations in our lives. How to go about it. Giving us godly examples. Giving us godly wisdom. Showing us in the Word of God how to carry it out. Well, just like that prodigal son, you may have messed up. You may have fallen back or fallen away from what God had called you to do. Where God wanted you to be by this time in your life. Well, I enjoy the prodigal son story. Because the kingdom of heaven is just like it. And this prodigal son grew up in the father's house. Became a man. Apparently had already received the robe of manhood. The ring on his finger. Apparently had already received all that the father could give him. And then he decided to go out on his own and receive all of his inheritance. And so this prodigal son, he's learned from his dad. And he's decided he's smarter than his father. And he's going to take all of his wealth and he's going to run off and he's going to make a name for himself. And so he leaves and he squanders all of his wealth. The Bible talks about in riotous living. And so at some point in there, his money runs out, his friends leave, and he finds himself in need and want. And he has nothing. And it's so bad that he starts slopping pigs as a job. And he's so hungry that when he's throwing the feed and the slop out to the pigs, he's yearning to eat of it. He wants what the pigs are eating. He's came to this place in his life where if he could just get some of the morsels of food that the pigs are eating and that are getting rolled around in the mud and the muck, if he could just get part of that. And at that moment, the Word says he came to himself. And when he came to himself, he realized just how good his father was. Just how much he provided for all of those around about him. How much he gave to all of the hired hands. Not one of his dad's hired hands ever looked at the animal's food and wanted it. They always had more than enough. Not once did the hired hands ever look like he looks right now in the mud and in the muck. And he came to himself and he said, Oh, how I long to be back at my father's house. So he headed back to his dad's and in himself all the way there, he's running this video in his head of what he's going to say. And he's perfecting it. Oh, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy 
to be called your son, if you could just make me a hired hand, I'll be happy. Your hired hands are so much better off than what I am right now. And so he, he gets toward his father's land. And this is the epitome of our father God. When he is yet a long ways off, the father sees him. Well, if you're going to see something a long ways off, you've got to look at it. You've got to work at it. You've got to be paying attention to see it. So the father was looking, waiting, believing for this son to come home. And when he was yet a long ways off, the father saw him. Now the father could have sent a servant out, said, go get that boy. Hopefully he's learned his lesson. But he didn't. The father just loved him. So much so, he runs to meet this son. And the son, I'm sure, is groveling and going, Oh, Dad, I'm so sorry. I've messed up so bad. I've done... I don't think the father heard any of it. The father wraps his arms around him. And he hugs him and he loves him. And he doesn't immediately, he doesn't want anybody to see his son this way. He doesn't want to embarrass him. It's not because it's a representation of him. It's because this is the son I love. And so he hollers at the servant and he says, go get his, his royal robe. Go get that good one, that really nice one. Go get it. Get him some new sandals. Get the family ring. Let's dress him up. Let's put him in right standing. And so the servants bring this robe in all its splendor of the family and what it means. And they wrap the son in it. And he is clothed in his father's house. And all of the filth is hidden. All of the shame, all of the guilt is hidden and washed away. And so here this child comes back to his father's house in a royal robe, in new sandals, with a shiny ring on his hand, reinstated fully, justified, just as if he had never walked away. That is the way God the Father treats us. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter if you've walked away from the Lord. Doesn't matter what you've believed in the past, whether you've had a sickness or a disease that you've been yielding to. None of that matters. All that matters is there's a good, good Father God that wants you to grow up in Him that wants you, that He has chosen you before the foundation of the earth, chosen you for before your mother's womb. And He loves you. And He wants the very best for you. And it doesn't matter what you've done. The love of God, the love of the Father, wants to put you in the robe of Jesus 
clothed in Jesus, wrapped up in the love of Jesus. So when everybody around the globe looks at you, the Father, He only sees Jesus. When you stand up as who you are in God, and you step up and you're testing out and you're trying out being like the Father, like this little child, God's right there to help you. God's right there to to overshadow you, give you grace and mercy, raise you up. When you speak His Word, all of heaven is at your disposal to watch over that Word of a child of God and make it come to pass. Because you were bold enough, you were unashamed enough to step up. You may still have your pampers on or your pull-ups. But you were, you were bold enough to step up and to do what you saw your father do. And then the father steps in, makes it come to pass on our behalf. Because that's who he is. He's always there. He's always right in the middle wanting you to have the very best. The song David wrote about how much more. The topic Brother Moore has been talking about. How much more. We don't know. We can't fathom what God wants for us. But what we can know is it's good. And it's for everybody. Nobody's left out. The good God, our good Father, has a good plan for each of us. And all we have to do, remember that scripture? It's not about our works. All we have to do is come back home or step into who He wants us to be and walk it out and let Him overshadow and fill in all the voids. Glory to God. Would you stand to your feet?